This is the morning brief from the Economic Times. Here are the average costs incurred by a COVID-19 infected person who needed hospitalization. An RT-PCR test from a private hospital is rupees 1000. An isolation bed in a hospital costs anywhere between rupees 8000 to rupees 11000 a day. If a patient needs critical care, an ICU bed with a ventilator is around rupees 15000 to rupees 18000 a day. And remember most people had to be hospitalized for at least 3 to 10 days and the rates differed with different states the cost for disposables like gloves and ppe kits are extra and don't forget the cost of medicines patients were prescribed a cocktail of medicines like remdesivir savipiravir and tocilizumab that cost anywhere from rupees 800 to rupees 20000 per person and that too if it was purchased from an authorized chemist and not from the black market and these aren't covered by most insurance plans and we haven't even talked about the cost of procuring life saving oxygen cylinders and other costs people incurred for home isolation and care Twenty-three-year-old Soundarya, who used to work with a renowned private hospital in Chennai, came home one day with a fever. And a day later, her entire family were tested positive with COVID-19. She went through unimaginable financial and mental distress. Having my job bygone in one hand. my beloved family collapsing unconscious out of oxygen in the other that was a terrifying night of my life with myself not having completely recovered from the illness seeking help from my friends i got them admitted in a private hospital nearby with a given package of 2 lakhs per head i was sleepless thinking from nowhere to get 6 plus lakhs which is 35000 per day with my pounding heart and few hopes left All the family savings of 2 lakhs rupees was paid for the first week. Also I was asked to buy my father six dose, doses of remdesivirs along the side of everything. I raised funds of rupees 2.25 lakhs in a crowdfunding site with help and support from anonymous donors. Fortunately, Soundarya's father is doing well today. but she is yet to find a job to earn what she lost trying to save her family i'm bhavya dilip kumar and you're listening to the morning brief in today's episode we will be discussing the cost of covid on those of us who have forced to choose between affordability and survival we will look at the economic fallout of the crisis and the average spends on medicines we will also analyze what went wrong with our drug policies and try and find out what needs to be done to brace ourselves to face the possibility of a third wave to understand the ground realities i spoke to malini aishola co-convener of all india drug action network She is also actively engaged in advocating dignified and affordable healthcare. 
Malini, the popular antiviral drug Remdesivir, was available at around rupees two thousand five hundred to rupees four thousand last year. But at the peak of the second wave, it was sold in the black market for a whopping rupees forty thousand to rupees fifty thousand for just two vials, due to short supply, of course. Medicines weren't the only thing that were sold at such exorbitant prices. Can you narrate to us some instances where people had to choose between affordability and survival? In one of the cases where I was trying to help someone get access to uh, oxygen cylinders for both of her aged parents uh, who needed to get oxygen support at home, and this was because, of course, there were no beds available in Delhi at that time. And she reported back to me after speaking to some suppliers and uh, you know who might have uh, had uh, oxygen cylinders to give her. At one point, she said that uh, you know she had turned down one of the very expensive quotes because she needed to budget and save up to uh, to pay for favipiravir, which is a, a drug for her parents. So uh, the point I would like to make is that not only were the Uh, you know, of course, as you mentioned, the fundraising uh, requests at this time were completely unprecedented through online platforms. Uh, but many families were also actually having to deal with competing exorbitant costs. So they were trying to figure out how to make payments not just for um, you know one commodity, but for medicines, for oxygen, for treatment costs, all at the same time. Hospital bills were running into lakhs, and medical insurance was not covering the drug costs. People had to do whatever they could to raise money. I spoke to Kiran Somwanshi, data journalist at the Economic Times, who reports on pharma, healthcare, and corporate governance, to find out more about how people exactly managed to get the funds and how they coped. First of all, medical insurance penetration itself is an issue in India. like how many of us are insured the organized sector is insured but there is huge unorganized part of it who are not separately insured like maximum we would have is group insurance from an office provided i'm working in an office which is in organized sector and will i be separately taking a medical insurance unlikely given that my savings or my financial literacy wouldn't probably uh, have developed at a level where i would go for an insurance in that also there are exemptions so there are exclusions so covid drugs or anything which is not uh, the regular from the regular part of the treatment will not be covered in the policy so invariably even post uh, covid recuperation those medications will not be covered so given all that since invariably become out of pocket expenses in india but besides that uh, there is another problem of that while the pandemic hit so one was the medical cost and other was the economic cost of survival so while i am struggling to survive uh, if i am a daily wage laborer and i am not having job because of lockdown and if in that circumstances if i have a patient at home who has suffered from covid then it's like double whammy and then that's why that pushes people to either um, go for lending take loans personal loans at high interest rates or these days crowdfunding or crowdsourcing the uh, cost but again uh, there are success stories but not all of them are digitally penetrated or um, savvy enough to kind of seek a crowdfunder or a crowdsourcer for them like ayushman bharat came out as a medical insurance scheme in india and uh, you know it rolled out with a lot of fanfare uh, but it has not had this kind of desired success which it should have in attending to a pandemic gambhir bimariyon ke liye 
और बड़ी अस्पतालों में सामान्य मानवी को भी आरोग्य की सुविधा मिले मुफ्त में मिले और इसलिए भारत सरकार ने प्रधानमंत्री जन आरोग्य अभियान प्रारंभ करने का तय किया आयुष्मान भारत हो भारत आयुष्मान हो आयुष्मान so two years before the pandemic we had this whole ayushman bharat coming in and it was supposed to be a very good scheme taking care of the poor and insurance was a way out for them 5 lakh insurance taking care of their uh, hospitalization but somehow if you look at the covid numbers uh, there is a lot of skew in uh, in terms of how states have uh, performed or how states have benefited so you have some states like punjab or gujarat or bihar there are hardly any patients there is almost zero patients which have benefited under the scheme and there are some states in south which have had lakhs of patients uh, getting treatment under ayushman bharat so it's clear that people spent a lot of money on life saving drugs that were largely experimental and unproven i spoke to dr sp kalantri who's a professor of medicine at the mahatma gandhi institute of medical sciences and he is also the medical superintendent of kasturba college in sevagram maharashtra i just wanted to understand whether these were prescribed by the medical professionals or was it majorly panic buying now unfortunately all these prescriptions and they come from across the entire spectrum of medical community they would come from rural doctors urban doctors from medical colleges from private nursing homes from tertiary care hospitals often some of these hospitals had a standard treatment form which was printed and was given to the patient when favipiravir was launched in our country a full course of favipiravir would cost as much as 13500 rupees for a patient so the problem is that this irrational therapies itself created a financial toxicity and i strongly believe that at least in mild covid you need no more than a couple of tablets of paracetamol to get cured but instead the patients kept on getting tons and tons of drugs and that led to an additional pressure on the family additional financial toxicity during the second wave we also saw the government flip flopping on guidelines in terms of treatments and medicines the guidelines differed majorly from the directorate general of health services the ministry of health and family welfare and the indian council of medical research or icmr to add to the misery every state came up with its own policy and control of some of the emergency drugs this indeed created a lot of confusion among the medical fraternity what could have been done to regulate this let's find out as a physician i strongly believe that all scientific reasoning cannot be abandoned citing desperate times now this is a favorite alibi which the medical professionals and media and even public takes that well these are desperate times in this in desperate times we need to have desperate solutions they might be irrational they might be unscientific they might be unproven but well if we have nothing to lay our hands on then probably we should look at a magic bullet and there's no harm in prescribing these drugs Uh, i strongly disagree uh, with this stand and uh, believe that the ineffective cures can be long lasting otherwise how do you explain the popularity of such drugs as ivermectin azithromycin uh, convalescent plasma doxycycline pavipiravir hydroxychloroquine atlizumab interferon alpha and more recently 2dg 
for managing COVID. And none of these drugs have stood the test of time. None of these drugs have proven benefits in large randomized controlled trials. And none of them is backed by science. So instead, their widespread use in patients of COVID, mild, moderate, or severe, outside the hospital, in the wards, in the ICUs, led to a tremendous financial toxicity there. The national policymakers need to publish a guideline which is nationally applicable, which is evidence-based, and which is science-driven. And such guidelines have been published by World Health Organization, by National Institute of Health, by NICE, and several other neighboring countries as well. Black marketing of everything from medicines to portable oxygen machines to even essential drugs like remdesivir was rampant during the second wave. Malini, did the government take any steps at all here? So I would say that the black marketing and excessive pricing that we saw was really primarily a result of the lack of planning by the government and a failure to take a public health approach. Given that we already had the experience of the first wave, uh, one can only term this as a very callous approach of the governments. Of course, uh, both the central government and many of the state governments are implicated in this. Some steps that were taken, uh, which were more in the form of enforcement and punitive measures to clamp down on the black marketeers were done. And uh, also uh, there was an attempt to control the supply of some of the essential goods. However, when this is being done at the time of crisis, these were sometimes even counterproductive because access, of course, is paramount when people are in uh, dire need of these uh, essential commodities. And therefore, the measures that were meant to curb the prices were also sometimes endangering the actual access to these supplies. And we saw this quite uh, clearly uh, in Delhi. Uh, in respect of uh, access to uh, oxygen cylinders, which were needed for many uh, people who were stranded in their houses because there were no beds in which they could be admitted. So what role did hospitals play here? We have plenty of anecdotal evidence to suggest that despite regulations from the government on capping prices for treatment, private hospitals continued to charge exorbitant rates. One of the key reasons is very weak enforcement uh, because also of the desperate state of affairs when hospital beds were in really short supply, hospitals were able to take undue advantage of that situation and state governments, many of them, uh, were reluctant to actually uh, enforce uh, those orders. And uh, in those kind of uh, very desperate situations, the public also did not really have a choice about approaching private hospitals because the government hospitals were full and also often lacking the facilities, equipment, manpower to be able to treat patients uh, uh, sufficiently. So people who would otherwise not be able to afford these prices had no choice but to go to private healthcare. Now, one of the results, obviously, is that families did not really get the full benefit of these orders and had to pay huge uh, out-of-pocket uh, expenses. And uh, to complicate matters, uh, if the family did have some sort of an insurance coverage, the insurance companies were often refusing to reimburse the high and unreasonable costs of private hospitals. 
after battling covid-19 there is now a fight for covid insurance there are covid patients whose insurance claims are being denied by insurance agencies many are struggling to pay their hospital bills and claim that insurance companies have left them in a lurch they have to pay for what their costs were by up to 50% So Malini what can an individual and families do when they are overcharged by the hospitals uh, So families and patients can um, speak out but what we must realize is that there are many barriers to that happening The first is a uh, uh, lack of information regarding any sorts of regulations that may be in place So people not may not be aware when they go to a hospital for admission that there is actually a Uh, an order that provides for government rates and uh, therefore they uh, may not uh, know how to avail of that and then uh, also there is a lack of awareness regarding a patient's rights in relation to um, you know uh, private hospitals uh, so you know having the right uh, of uh, getting access to medical records in a timely manner uh not being uh, not for the patient not being held hostage or a body being detained due to the non payment or non clearance of the bill uh, and so forth secondly there is also a very deep power imbalance at play um uh, and given a lack of any grievance mechanism in place in respect of government rate caps families are unable to often raise complaints or to get assistance against violations and overcharging by hospitals so most lack the ability or the resources to then pursue a legal battle especially if they are facing a continued illness of uh, the family member or they have been confronted recently with the death of a loved one so i would say that the government actually has a bigger role to play in ensuring that the regulations are widely advertised in proactively monitoring and enforcing them and also in providing avenues for grievance redresser It is too early to put your guard down. Health experts believe that the third wave is going to hit India probably by October this year. AIMS chief Dr. Randeep Guleria has warned that there could be a third wave in the next 6 to 8 weeks if citizens are not careful. Third wave of coronavirus is inevitable in India and may hit the country in the next 6 to 8 weeks. A third wave is uncertain but preparing for it is the only choice we have. What are the issues that India must address in terms of bringing the cost down through a holistic approach and what should be the priority for now? We had a plenty of opportunity to wake up in the first wave but unfortunately we didn't wake up in the first wave. and we also realize that although india makes a huge amount of oxygen for its heavy industries where it is stored it is used and it can be used for medical care but we lack that mechanism to distribute this oxygen so in april and may almost all major hospitals in the country they became acutely hypoxic and they were not supplied with enough oxygen so the government did ask the gas companies to divert oxygen from their industrial plants to the hospital the government did import some uh, small amount of oxygen but this all amounted to firefighting 
So if the next wave comes and we are trying to predict the unpredictable, nobody really knows when the third wave would come. But one thing that we very badly need is that this time the country should have enough resources, enough infrastructure, enough policy mechanisms in place to ensure that the oxygen is really available in every hospital where the patients of COVID are getting admitted, that all our ventilators have a proper supply of oxygen. I was extremely happy and very pleasantly surprised to see the DCGI guidelines about a fortnight ago and that nine-page PDF uh, brought so much pleasure to my heart because that, uh, that document is very clear, it's very concise, and it is pure science-driven. The document says that all that you need to treat COVID patients are only four drugs, and they would be paracetamol for mildly ill, those who are hypoxic get a steroid, those who are hypoxic and need, uh, are deteriorating and need an ICU admission get a tocilizumab, and those who are hospitalized and have got comorbid illnesses like sugar problems or BP, or cancer, or chronic lung disease, they also get a blood thinner. Full stop, period. Which means that the entire country can be managed with only four drugs, paracetamol, a steroid, a tocilizumab, in very select few, and blood thinners, again, in a small chunk of a population. Uh, rest, everything is stupidity. So if, should the third wave arrive, and if we have, have a common national protocol uh, driven by the highest scientific bodies of the country, and we make sure that those protocols traveled to the length and breadth of the country and are religiously followed by all hospitals, whether they're public and or private, and the private hospitals do not indulge in profiteering, then maybe we can greatly simplify the very process of treating COVID patients. We would be able to dramatically reduce the cost of healthcare, and we would ensure that the rich are not overtreated and the poor are not undertreated. Thank you so much, Dr. Kalantri, Malini, and Kiran. COVID-19 has pushed many into a financial crisis. As we prepare for the uncertain future, it's high time that the government's policies and guidelines are more measured and evidence-based, which could actually help fix the exorbitant cost of COVID treatments. Authorities have a lot to do in terms of tracking down on the black marketing and overcharging setting up strong avenues for grievance redressal for individuals to come forward and complain about any fraudulent practices in relation to COVID will offer a safety net to patients. It remains to be seen how the government can help in regulating drug companies who have a monopoly. That's all from us today. I'm Bhavya Dilip Kumar and you've been listening to The Morning Brief. This episode was edited and coordinated by Nehal Chalyawala. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. We look forward to your feedback. Write to us at themorningbrief at timesgroup.com. And if you like this episode, please share on your social media handles. We'd really appreciate it. The Morning Brief airs every Tuesday, Thursday and Friday. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and stay safe. All external sound clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credit mentioned in the description box.